Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Baggies broadcast sponsored by Adoption at Heart. My name is Luke Hatfield and I am joined today by a man who was so frustrated at Albion's 3-0 defeat at Fulham that he balled his hand into a fist and just put it through his laptop screen. Mr Joe Massey. Well that might have been actually what had happened because I am sat here recording this with a laptop that has got three giant blobs of, well only I can describe as giant blobs of ink on it um, <laughs> and multiple cracks. It is actually amazing that this is working to record this. Lap, to record this. I mean I, my screen is absolutely ridiculous. It's even more, more amazing I've managed to write a couple of stories. <laughs> I'm about to go on a different computer to be honest but I thought for this one it would um, I'd try and get it going on the laptop but <clears throat> yeah anger anger um, it wasn't I should say it wasn't that that isn't the reason why my laptop screen is absolutely buttered um, it's battered I don't actually know why it's buttered I, I come into work today for the first to the office for I don't know for the first time in years I looked at my yeah. laptop last night and it was fine I got here this morning and it was absolutely smashed apart so I'm guessing I put it in the car too vigorously, but I don't think I did, and it wasn't yeah. a case. Um, but yeah, uh, what made me laugh was but before we started recording, you said I think I put it in my car too ferociously. I've, <laughs> I've never seen anyone put a laptop into any kind of vehicle ferociously. Well, but I don't it think I did, but maybe it was just anger from Albion's defeat at the weekend. It had to come out in some way, and my subconscious just took over. Yeah, maybe you were just that frustrated. That sometimes you just need to take the anger out on something, and unfortunately, your laptop screen was was there. Um, uh, neither of us were actually at Fulham. <laughs> might, might have been for the better, to be honest, the way the game went. Well, um, me for a genuine reason, you because you couldn't be bothered. But whoa, whoa, whoa! What was stopping you from going? I was. Uh, no, it's because the games were over like a different time span. So we had the Fulham Albion game, which kicked off early, but because there was oh, other right. games going on that day. Oh, right. So, what, oh, right. so that was the first day that we've had games on at the same day, is it? I didn't no. realise teams would play on like the same day. No. No. <laughs> I can't believe you. You are. <laughs> oh, I get you are. Luke, yeah, I basically, I Luke Garfield can't do his job without me. So he didn't make the trip. Is what, really, what, what people need to know. I, just, I, I, I couldn't bear going to, to our spiritual home, really. Of, of reporting oh, on Albion without you. you. It was too it emotional for you. It would have been far too emotional for me. I wouldn't have been able to cope. Did you just call me a git? Yeah, yeah, yeah a git. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to say that on this podcast. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's so strange the amount of times I expose your lies on this podcast. It's hilarious. Lies? Unbelievable. When, what was it the other week? When, remember it, the other month when you said that you were going to always going to talk about something on the podcast? Do you know what I, it was? I, know, yeah. I remember exactly what it was. Um, so I put a tweet out asking for the front three of Albion. Oh, that's it. Me, me, me. I need to talk about Albion. All I care about. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then you said, you just did that randomly. I said, no, I didn't. I was planning for this podcast. And in reality, the moment the podcast finished, you asked me. And I said, of course not. I just did it just because I wanted to know. <laughs> You did admit that you were like, even though on air you said you 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 lied. I do appreciate the fact that off air you admitted you were lying, and now on air you are admitting you were lying. I appreciate oh yeah, that. The, the truth always comes out in the wash, mate. Yeah. It always comes out in the wash. Um, I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm not that type of person who can carry. Because the thing is, with a little lie like that, it can just snowball, and then before you know it, you know you're lying to people left, right, and centre. It's just not worth the trouble. 
But the only thing I'll say to that is that you did lie to my face about when you were going to pop the question to your missus, and I was so convinced that you were you were not you were not going to propose on that holiday that I wouldn't have even questioned it. I didn't question it for like half a second. I carried that lie well, didn't you I? You did carry that lie very well, yeah. But that was that's slightly different. That's slightly different. It was it was for everyone's benefit. I wanted you to be surprised. I was pleased. I yeah. was very happy. I was I was relieved for you. Good. Um, it's been a long time since our last episode, mate. I know it has been a long time, mate. Two whole weeks. Yeah. Is it two um, weeks? Yeah. So <clears throat> the issue the issue last week was because there was a game weekend midweek weekend, and then our days off didn't work, did they? No, I had one. You had four. What? What? <laughs> I'd get my calendar up, but I at the moment... I had one day off and you had the other four, so we were scuppered. That's how it goes, isn't it? <laughs> there was a good tweet which I saw, which I didn't reply to. Oh, no, I know uh, what you're going to say. It was a good tweet. Yeah, apparently I'd say, at this point, my annual... What did he say? I can't remember the exact wording of it. At this point, Luke takes annual leave from his annual leave to come in. Apparently, that's what I said. It was along those lines, wasn't it? I did reply to it, saying that is a brilliant tweet. Yeah, or something it was like good. that is. Um, that's my intro to the next podcast or something. Oh, here we go. I found it. What go on. Say? I've got. Just excuse me. I just need to move it away from the giant black ink blob <laughs> on my screen. <laughs> Luke takes annual leave from his annual leave to come to work at this stage. Yeah, you got it to be fair. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Make sure you credit me, says Alf. There you go, Alf. You're in. Alf, me. that was good. I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> tell you what, I didn't enjoy though, Joe. I didn't enjoy a 3 0 defeat of Fulham. Um, because we're going to catch up on a couple games here. I mean, technically, oh, we haven't really covered the Swansea game, but I think everyone's kind of known about the Swansea game for back. a long, long time. Um, out there. Yeah, we're a news outlet, and it is not new. Um, Fulham three, Albion nil at the cottage. I know neither of us were there, but you take that result and you compare that to Bristol City, and I know we said we weren't going to talk about it, but Swansea and the Swansea and Fulham games are teams that we would have said are, are those that Albion would maybe prefer to face. They try and play out. They 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 kind of take a couple chances here and there with the ball. Whereas Bristol City very much go to the Hawthorns to, to try and frustrate. But the one result that they get is against Bristol City. Yeah, I think it's important. I think I do think it is actually important to look at those two games together in terms of Bristol City and Fulham. Because, <clears throat> look, we know what 65% of the league are now going to do against Albion. It's not just going to be at the Hawthorns. They're going to change the way they're going to play based on the fact that they know if they play with possession and try and play out, Albion will press them so aggressively with such high intensity, like they did against Sheffield United, that it's very unlikely I think they'll get a result. Literally everyone has changed the way they played. Not literally everyone, but the vast majority of teams have changed the way they played when they've come up against Albion. Even QPR, who mm. played a lot more football than, say, Millwall, Derby, Preston, the games before them, but they did change. They, they did play more football than those teams, but they still played significantly less football than they normally do. So we know our, we know teams at the Hawthorns are basically, or at the Hawthorns, or if you're a lower sort of championship, bottom half championship team, with the exception of Swansea, 
The likelihood is they're going to play with a back five because it seems like everyone is playing with a back five at the minute. And they're going to play with a low block and they're going to look to frustrate. And we know that now. We know that over the pattern of the season. The Sheffield United game was absolutely brilliant at Hawthorns. It was a night we'll, we'll probably always remember. But it was basically a massive advert of how not to play against Albion. Yeah. Um, and literally from then, everything's changed. I don't know if it was Peter Brunecks. I think it might have been. Um, but from even at the Peterborough game, you could see teams was, were basically setting up to frustrate. The Bristol City game was interesting, f- f- mainly for Robert Snodgrass. Look, Jason Malumbi had an absolutely excellent game. He really, really did have an excellent game. He was very unlucky to be left out against Fulham. Um, but the, the real interesting thing was Robert Snodgrass, who, who Ishmael said post-match was man of the match. Mm. Um, the truth is, he just he he is so much more comfortable on the ball than any of others of Albion's midfielders. Alex Moa is comfortable on the ball, I would say, yeah. but he's not as comfortable as Snodgrass is. Um, and the only way I can sort of describe it was, I mean, he 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 almost looked a Premier League player in a Championship game. He had so much more time on the ball than other Albion players, and 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 but he he still played Ishmael's way. And that's, mm. that's the key point here. It wasn't as if every... Albion did pass the ball more. They did slow it down more against Bristol City. They did. But it's even when they do it, they're still playing in this frantic style. It's, it's, only, it's only marginal tweaks, isn't it? It's like people say there's no plan B. Plan B is just a different version of plan A. Yeah. So there are only these marginal tweaks. And the whole team did slow it down. But Snodgrass was so composed on the ball. And there was times when you could just tell he was... He, his movement, the way he moves his head, he's always looking at what's around him. It just felt like he was doing everything half a second or a second slower than everyone else. Um, and that the difference that made to Albion, just taking that, 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 just that slight bit of rush away, if you like, he knitted everything together beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team benefited from it absolutely massively. And, Ishmael has said in, in, in other games, like, oh, we, we created chances, we created chances. But, like, you look at... Um, but they haven't, but some, in some of those games, there haven't been clear-cut chances. There haven't been golden chances. And you look at that Bristol City game, the quality of chance created. Um, they were gold, glorious opportunities, Albion were creating, time and time and time again. I mean, Hugo really should have had a hat-trick. There's mm. a, I mean, he should have had four, if we're being honest. But, look, you can't expect him to score every chance he's getting. Like, that's what... Not even world-class players do that. Harry Kane misses from time to time. So, <clears throat> but he had four glorious opportunities. Really, he should be get, he should be getting two or three goals in that game. And and I, and Snodgrass was a massive, massive reason why Albion was so much better. Really, in that game, than they have been in a lot of other games when teams have just come back and sat and frustrated. Now, the thing there is, and this is purely obviously with the benefit of hindsight, and what Ishmael and what Ishmael said after. The, like in the following press conference after the game in the lead up to the Fulham game was he really felt Snodgrass had given the team a different dimension against teams that had set that set up to frustrate. Mm. And I think that's massive for the season going forward. Teams are still going to do this to Albion. And I think in those games, maybe like Hull, maybe like Middlesbrough, I think Robert Snodgrass has to start because he has that patience, he has that composure, he has that experience. He can spot these passes. And I think it will help unlock those teams. And, and Albion have needed help unlocking them. They, like we've said so many times, and obviously there was the three draws in a row. 
Millwall Preston Derby. There was the QPR game where the goalkeeper three went in for the first one. Mm. We've had other games where Carlin Grant has scored worldy goals. Let's and, and that's what's been the, like Blues. Carlin Grant scores a worldy that gets us through. And the chances, the clear cut chances, hadn't really been there. But in that game, Snodgrass, the introduction of Snodgrass, I think made a huge difference to that. Now, I was immensely excited by that. I think Ishmael was immensely excited about that. I think the fans were immensely excited about that. He was obviously man of the match. We go to the Fulham game, and I think, look, is, look, we're talking with hindsight on the back of a 3-0 defeat, but maybe in hindsight, Jason Malumbi should have started that game. And mm. that there's... There's, there's, there's so many people saying that, oh, Jake Livermore shouldn't have started. Jake Livermore shouldn't have started. He, like, he, he, how could you drop Malumbi or, or Snodgrass after that performance? And that, and that argument, I mean, I don't mean to be rude because there's a lot of people making that argument, but that argument to me beggars belief. I mean, I just can't believe people are making that point. It's, it's a different game. Mm. It's just a different game of football with different threats against different players, with different movement, with different styles of play. You can't just say, we played really well against Bristol City, we're just going to just do exactly the same against Fulham. Like, tactics aren't plug and play. It's just It just doesn't work like that. And I, I, I just can't understand anyone who would think it would. Um, I think... This, so I think so, in hindsight, something had to change. In hindsight, I think the, 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 maybe in terms of selection, it should have been Malumbi and Livermore instead of Malumbi and Snodgrass. And we're not saying that based on the fact Snodgrass made a, look, he made a really big mistake, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's neither here nor there, really, in the grand scheme of things is what we're saying. But Albion looked, to me, I mean, look, I've watched the game on TV and Albion looked like they were just constantly outnumbered in the middle of the park. and. Yeah. Look they're, look, they're outnumbered in the middle of the park at Stoke. So, look, I think, as we said after the Stoke game, there'll be a lot of people listening to this and, and saying Ishmael should have gone 3-5-2. Personally, I think that's a, more than a valid argument. I, I completely understand where those people are coming from. But he's not going to do that. And I think, what, with the greatest respect to Robert Snodgrass and with the greatest respect to, to Jake Livermore, they are the wrong side of 30. And... Malumbi is just so energetic, so energetic, that I think maybe his the introduction of Malumbi in that game could have stopped some of those gaps potentially. I don't know. I wasn't there. I only watched it on TV. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, Albion lost the game 3-0. And I think potentially Snodgrass was the wrong choice in that game. The very the big positive is what I've said is I think Snodgrass is could potentially be massive against the lesser teams in this division, of which there are, I think, a lot of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is it's a shame. Yeah. Do you think the Bristol City game and the room that that Snodgrass was afforded and the time on the ball he was afforded, and obviously he he does that himself with clever movement and and when he receives the ball and where he receives it. Um, but in the same respect, you know, going into that Fulham game, they did press much, much better. Um, do you think that kind of hurt him? Do you reckon he was still kind of almost in the mindset of that game? I know there's time between them and, you know, they have training in between and this and that. But, you know, given that he was afforded so much room and, and space and partly of his own doing, like I said, but do you reckon the Fulham game that maybe hurt him a little bit? No, I mean, he's a top player. He's used to playing against one opponent one week and one opponent the next. I think. It, it's, uh, for me, 
the issue comes down to the system, to be honest. And I've said this before in the podcast. I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say it. That I genuinely, I, I, I still don't really understand a three-four-three system. Like mm. I, I still, and I said to Ishmael made a point a couple of weeks ago. When I say I don't understand that, as in I don't, I'm not saying I don't understand why Ishmael plays it. What I'm saying is, I, if you, if you said to me, if you gave me eleven players tomorrow, and you told me if if you, and, and I had a choice to put them in a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one or a three-five-two, I feel like I'd be able to tell all the players what they need to do, kind of. Mm. But I still, I'm a bit lost in a three-four-three with like the central midfielders. I still, I still find this. I just for me, it feels like there's too much for them to do. Um, that's why I, I, if I was a manager, I wouldn't play it. But, it's, but I mean, my God, it's probably the most popular system in the game at the minute. And Ishmael obviously believes in it immensely. The, the, I asked, Ishmael said a couple of weeks, well, 10 days or so ago in the presser that you need a lot of brain power to play in his midfield too, mm. was the exact quote. And I didn't follow it up at the time, but I did follow it up at the next, next press conference. And I said, do you think it's the most sort of mentally demanding role in the team? And he, he sort of, I don't think he's ever really thought about it like that, but he sort of paused and had a little think and said, well, look, all my players need to be like sort of intelligent and switched on. But yeah, probably. Like mm. central midfield probably is. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's the, that's why, that's why he's such a big fan of Jake Livermore because he, Jake Livermore knows what to do, I think, in that role. And, it, and it's things I think a lot of us don't appreciate. It's a lot of it's positioning, a lot of it's reading of the game, a lot of it's making sure that you're in the right place so the opposition can't break. It's, it's, it's very much unseen work, I think. Yeah. Um, and you've got to remember that in so many times this season, they are outnumbered in the middle of the park. So many, like, for example, the, every, every formation's changing. Formations are, are like... Bizarre at the minute, aren't they? It's like three four two one, which is basically three six one. Let's be honest. Yeah. And then and then Bristol City played three one <clears throat> four two, or <clears throat> everything's all over the place with these numbers. But if you take it that Bristol City game for example, they are three five two. The one was a holding midfielder. That Albion's midfield two were outnumbered in the middle of the park. And I think Snodgrass and Malumbi did great that day. But Ishmael knows that Livermore has got the nous and the experience to deal with that every single week. Mm. And that's why he played, and that's why he's such a key key player for Ishmael. But um, I just think, in hindsight, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think Snodgrass was still in the Bristol City mode. He's used to, he's used to like playing different opposition each week, but I just think it didn't... It didn't it, look, Fulham have got very good players. Like they, 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 and it, it just didn't work, I just in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I watched the game live as it happened, um, and I tweeted, and I got a little bit of stick for it, to be honest, saying that there wasn't too much in the game, and I I stand by that, because you've got a penalty, which, let's be honest, is not a penalty. Um, you know, if the referee watches that back, I'm sure he has done. Um, everyone said it. it. It wasn't a penalty, as simple as that. You've got a moment of madness from Snodgrass who just doesn't see Mitrovic when he's playing the ball back. Um, and you've got a really big decision that goes against him in the red card, which for yeah, me, I, mean, at I that thought... point, it's irrelevant, isn't it, really? Once Furlong goes, I mean, it's never going to be... <clears throat> like, the third goal, it really doesn't matter, I don't think. Yeah, I just think there was so... All the big moments went against Albion. All the big moments. And, and that's when you think, oh, actually, like, when, Ishmael, when you look at Ishmael's selection and stuff and... 
Yeah, I don't know. I didn't think it was a disastrous performance. I didn't think it was a performance that warranted a 3 0 defeat. No, I don't think it was a performance that warranted a 3 0 defeat. I think, um, but from what I've seen, I think Fulham would. Fulham deserved. They Fulham probably deserved, deserved, deserved to, win. to win. Yeah. But if Albion had got a point out of that game and the decision. Say, the deci- say they don't give the penalty and Furlong doesn't get sent off and Snodgrass doesn't decide to give him a goal. If they get a point out of it, I don't think anyone's up in arms saying they've they've nicked a point there. Yeah, no, they're three big ifs, aren't they? <clears throat> they are, but I'd argue that the penalty and the Snodgrass back pass, 99 times out of 100, probably don't happen. Or maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Yeah, I think there's like I think there's so much you have to look at really, like in terms of I don't think it was Albion's best performance. So this, like, I don't think they, I don't think they were amazing on the day. I think maybe in hindsight, Malumbi should have come in for for Snodgrass. I think the decisions definitely went against Albion. I mean, yeah, yeah. But the other point is with a great look. Jordan Hugh had a really good game against Bristol City. I spoke mm. to him afterwards. Nice lad. We've been critical of him on this podcast. I think everyone's been critical of him, really. Um, <clears throat> and it's, you, you don't want to battle the lad, you really don't. But like, there's no, there is no comparison between Jordan Hugel and Alexander Mitrovic. Like, there just no. isn't. Like, you just and that and it, it was Mitrovic that scored three goals. Like, he's got. I mean, look, you're comparing Hugel to probably the best striker in the league. So it's a, it's, it's, it's it's almost no one else has got a Mitrovic either, have they? It's basically just Fulham. Um, yeah. But. That it's a big, it's a big gap. Like it's a big, it's a. I mean, if Mitrovic was playing for Albion on Saturday, would they have won the game? I mean, I think there's a fair chance they probably would have. So it's just that that is one thing you have to take into consideration. I think. Um, I was going to make another point, but I can't remember what it was. I think the penalty. Oh, that's what it was. Look, there's absolutely no doubt about it that that's not a penalty. There's, abs- there's like, it's just never a penalty in a million years. My mm. only. I probably the only person I have got some sympathy with the ref, in the sense that it's, I don't think very often you see someone go through the middle of another player's legs, Just, like that's how Barbie, and win the ball. And yeah. win the, like that is how we won the ball. So that is very rare. Like, I mean, isn't it? Do you know, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it, I get which, where you're coming from. I get where I think, you're coming from. I think in the moment. I just think the referee wouldn't have realised what had actually happened because it is so obscure. And yeah. I think naturally you think... I mean, in, it sounds worse than it is, but Bartley has gone through him. He has gone through him. Phys- like, in terms of... He's literally... But it, but that makes it sound really dangerous, but it's not dangerous at all. He's bodied him as he's won the ball. Um, I mean, I want to make it absolutely 100% clear. It's never a penalty. But I can understand, I think I can understand why at that speed, the referees thought, well, basically the only way you could have won that ball is by going through him, which he did do, but mm. going through him means going through him, like, and that's a foul. Whereas it just wasn't a foul, what Bartley did, but it's just such an obscure moment, I think. Um, I think it was, I think it was, I almost think it's more unfortunate than it is a like a catastrophic refereeing error. Like I think it, I really do think it was a, quite a unique situation. 
I agree with you, but in the same respect, I do think that Connor Townsend kind of got it right, saying that he, he rushed it. I think if he'd taken an extra second, mind you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he was right on it. I mean, he did. He, he had a great angle, but maybe he's just acted a bit too quickly. It was one where he, he was convinced it was a penalty, the referee, you know, first first viewing. But it's one of them, if VAR's around, and I'm not advocating for VAR in the Championship because it's got his problems, it would be overturned. That would not be a penalty. Yeah, 100%, yeah. But I think what, <clears throat> yeah. My only point I'm trying to make is, I don't know why I'm even bothering to defend the referee, but I do think I can, I, I, don't, I can sort of see how he came to his conclusion. Mm. Even though it was completely wrong, I just think the challenge was a very unusual challenge, and that's yeah. led to that. And that's what's put. That's what's led to him getting confused. Really, I could understand the furlong red card more, even though on replays he gets he gets some of the ball. Yeah, see, that's. I mean, like I tried to find out today if Albion have appealed. I haven't got an answer. I don't think they have um, appealed, but I'm not sure. But it's not. Yeah, the furlong one again is like, it's not a red card, but but at the at the speed of that of which that was happening, mm. like you can understand why he's given a red card there. Yeah, it's not a red card. He's won the ball, but you you have to watch five replays before you realise he's won the ball. Yeah, it's 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 easy to criticise when you're watching replay after replay, and the referee he's only looked at it once. Yeah, at speed. And he's, yeah, he's running, the players are running, you're at ground level, which is, I mean, I know you'll get a better view of some things, but you might not necessarily get the best view of it. Um, and and at the end of the day, it happens in a split second. Um, I think the only big decision he got right was the Adarabio red card, to be honest, which was a, a real nasty challenge. Yeah, that was a nasty challenge. Yeah. It's just too high on Dean Garner. Um, but yeah, I don't think the referee had the best day, but equally, you know, West Brom... They didn't create too many great chances. They created a couple, um, could have scored on another day. But like I said before, I think the big moments went against them, but they didn't do enough to win that game. Yeah, that's what I would say. They didn't do enough to win it. You know? um, shall we go on to questions? Because we've got a fair few. Oh, mate, go for it. Yeah, for me, yeah. Let's do it, let's do it. Um, Andrew Bishop says, It's become apparent that Fulham and Bournemouth... Bournemouth, sorry, are the two best teams in the league. Do you think our fans should start to be realistic and accept that we are a playoff team at best? This should stop the booing and negative reactions every time we get a bad result. So I think... So how many games have we played in the Championship now? Um, 15. So without, so after 15 games, Bournemouth and Fulham are the best teams in the Championship without a shadow of a doubt. They're, they're, the league table doesn't lie. Mm. Um, in terms of 15 games but what you can't look I mean Ishmael made a cracking point at his press conference the other day like when he I mean when he got the Barnsley job they had like they were I mean they were in the relegation zone they ended up finishing in the playoffs like it's not like there's there's an awful awful long way to go an awful lot of points still to be won we're 15 games into a 46 game season I mean like Fulham have got a four-point lead over us. To put it in perspective, didn't Albion have a ten-point lead over Brentford when after when Project yeah, Restart? Yeah, and yeah, that, like that, that ten-point gap disappeared pretty quickly, didn't it? So I think Bournemouth and Fulham... What, what, all right, if we're taking it in context, first of all, Bournemouth, look, 
15 games unbeaten in the championship. Absolutely remarkable achievement. At least five wins in a row. I can't remember how many it is, but it's definitely five. Um, Only conceded yeah, eight goals. Absolutely deserve to be top of the division with that record. <clears throat> however, however, why all hope is not lost and Bournemouth aren't gone, is if you look at... if you So, look, we all go bang on about XG, blah, blah, blah. Well, XG... Is, is is important? It's a, it's a, like it's in so as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's, a, it's a good indicator of how things could eventually turn out. If you it, um, experimental three six one are probably my favourite XG website. Um, mm. If you want to look at their data and stuff, it's a good way of um, looking at XG and what they do. What in football is called the Justice League. So the Justice League we've spoken about it before. Is basically um, they take all your chances. Based on XG, based on chance, they do, they do all the all the all your results based on your XG rather than the goals scored, yeah. and then you can see where you are in the table if only XG mattered rather than actual goals. If that makes sense, I probably don't explain that very well, but and that's what in football is known as the Justice League because it's based on performances and chance creation. So, <clears throat> where do you think Bournemouth are in that league? I'd say they're probably second or third, maybe fourth. They're tenth. Tenth. Tenth which is a massive drop. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from Bournemouth in the sense that they have gone 15 games unbeaten at the start of the championship, which is remarkable. But according to that, according to their XG, they are massively clinical. Yeah, they so are, basically, basically their strikers are taking tough chances and their opponents are missing sitters. Or not sitters, but they're missing chances they should probably score. Yeah, I mean, it's pro- yeah, yeah, exactly that, yeah. Um, so while they're nine points clear of us at the moment and five points clear of Fulham, and that and what we could say is that can absolutely carry on. The wonderful thing about football is there's anomalies in the game that we just don't understand. That's why you just don't know what's going to happen every single week. So my XG example, which I always bang on about, is Nathan Jones at Stoke. Hmm. If you looked at the uh, Justice League table when Nathan Jones was manager of Stoke, he always had them in the playoffs. Always, always, always. They were always competing. They were always competitive. Now, for whatever reason, when Nathan Jones was at Stoke, they just couldn't put a ball in the net. It didn't happen for them. In terms of their XG, they'd win every week, or not every week, but you know what I mean. They'd do very, very well, Mm. but it didn't translate into actual results. Now, over... The reason why XG I think is important is because eventually it is always right. So now Nathan Jones has gone to Luton. He's a good manager. Luton are doing well. Yeah, he is a yeah. good manager, and he showed that at Stoke with his XG. He just didn't show it in the results. But in football, that can happen. Like you, that we don't know why, but you could go to you could be manager of Stoke. You could get ten one on ones over ten games, and you could score eight of them. Or you go and get 10 one-on-ones in 10 games and score three of them. Nothing a manager can do about that. We don't really know why it happens. We don't really know why one week a striker scores and one week he doesn't. The same chance. So you just don't know. But So Bournemouth could carry on exactly as they are. They could. This could the first 15 games could mirror in the, over 30. They could do what they've done and, and they could still be miles clear. But in terms of the data... The data suggests there will be a tail-off for Bournemouth. Um, it suggests that Bournemouth have before, uh, results have been better than they've performed. Mm. 
who knows how it goes from now on, you just don't know. But that's something to be, from an Albion perspective, that's something to be optimistic about. Um, top of the XG table of Fulham. Yeah. Sec- second are us. Um, so I think that's interesting. I think, what in terms of the question, look, it, as, as it stands, it looks like we are the third best team in the division. It does. Um, so we're basically par for the course. Um, but there's still a long way to go. We're going to have to see what happens. But it's just... It's going to suck finishing third. Yeah, yeah, it will. Um, um, because this is a massive... Because what we do have to say is, this is a massive season for Albion. This season's slightly more than next season, but for those two years when they've got the parachute payments, they've got to make the most of them. We get more money this year, less money next year. Like this... Albion have got to get up in the next two years, really. Mm. Um, and if they finish third, it's just no guarantees, is there? No. You've got um, 25% chance if you finish third, and that's, it's no more, no less. Thinking of adoption? We have all the information you need at Adoption at Heart, your regional adoption agency for the Black Country. Adoption at Heart provides adoption services for the City of Wolverhampton Council, Walsall Council, Dudley Metropolitan Borough Council and Sandwell's Children's Trust and is encouraging those who are considering adoption to come forward and take the next step. The Black Country Agency is appealing for adopters who can give our children lots of individual time, understanding and ongoing support and are looking for re- to recruit adopters from within a diverse section of the community irrespective of gender, sexual orientation, disability, race or faith. To start your adoption journey or to find out more, why not book onto the next virtual information event? Visit www.adoptionatheart.org.uk to see the next available dates and to book your place or call 01902 Next question comes from Ethan. Is it likely that Ingram or Taylor Gardner Hitman will get a look in to replace Furlong or will it be Phillips? I just thought personally, if he was going to use Phillips, he could have brought him back on instead of Malumbi, uh, which is another reason why I don't think it will be Reach. Yeah, so we've got a press conference of Ishmael tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, obviously, he's going to be asked about his, I'll ask him about his right wing back options. Um, he's not going to say he's going to play, obviously, but it'd be interesting to know who he sees filling that role. Mm. Um <clears throat> As I said a million times before in this podcast, from what I understand is Taylor Gardner Hickman was very, very, really impressed um, in the close season, in particular in pre season, to the point where he was seen as Furlong's understudy. I, I think I'm right in saying, but I could be wrong, that Ethan Ingram has also made a big impression. No, sorry, I'm not. I'm right in saying that Ethan Ingram has made a big impression. What I was going to say was he's like caught up with Taylor Gardner Hickman. I'm not sure if that's quite the case because Taylor Gardner Hickman has still got on the bench in recent weeks, whereas we haven't really seen Ingram on the bench. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so you've got you've got Taylor Gardner Hickman. Then who are we looking at really? We've got Ethan Ingram, but I, th- I think Taylor Gardner Hickman is ahead of Ethan Ingram. You're looking at Matt Phillips. All, all, I mean, I, I mean, I was a bit surprised to see Malumbi go there. Really. I, um, I get the thinking like he's a, obviously a, you know an energetic lad got a real engine on him I if it was me I'd have, I'd probably you know lump lump, lump Phillips there because I know he can play there but Ishmael obviously sees him further forward doesn't he yeah it's interesting it's, it's going to be interesting 
I, I, I genuinely don't know who's got who's going to get the nod. So I really don't know. But you want you want to see young players given the chance. Taylor Gunn has been very high, highly thought of. Um, Hull, Hull at home could be an ideal game to like introduce him, give him a shot. But obviously, Matt Phillips, like you said, you I think that'd be a you. It feels like you get a bit more reliability with him in terms of. He's a safer pair of hands simply because he's played so many games. Mm. Um, and now I've been asked sort of blessed the players in the forward position, so he can be repl- he can be replaced in the front three. I can't see it being reached personally. Uh, like Ishmael's so keen on balance and wanting players with a, a right foot on the right side and a left foot on the left side that just can't see it being reached. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Considering we saw Connor Townsend played at left centre back. Yeah, yeah, he rather, yeah. I think it'll be Phillips or Garden Hickman. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Malumbi, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Suraj Chohan, what's the likelihood of us getting DK in January as a percentage? And if we don't, do we know of any names, of any alternatives? Clearly, an out and out striker is what we're missing most. Yeah, so we've spoken about this before as well. I mean, DK, look, as I've said a million times, what we understand is that he's very much top of the list. He's the almost like the one player Valerian Ishmael wants. Um, no doubt he would have a massive impact on the squad. Read a real, like Steve Maley did a piece in The Athletic about him. Something like, do you know, I can't remember, it might be wrong. It's, 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 it, it, in all his games to Barnsley, he didn't, he either got one or zero assists. I can't remember. It was, it was either one or zero. I think that tells you a lot about him in the sense that he is pro- a proper out-and-out out number nine. Like You look at Albion's forwards and you can't imagine them going through half a season only getting one assist. Yeah, he's not, not, he's not there to lay on chances for others, is he? No, he's not there for anyone else. He's there for himself to... Well, well you know what I mean. He's, he's there to get goals. He's there to put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. Whereas all Albion's other players really... With the exception of Hugo, you would call creators. You would like they, 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 they want to create really. Like, um, <clears throat> so there's no doubt it's what we need. Hugo, ah, ah, bless him. Like he had a good game against Bristol City. He did, but even with a Bristol City game, I feel like I really want to like. I, I just like. I, I just want to be nicer about him. But even with a Bristol City game. He, he missed a lot of chances. Like he mm. missed a lot of chances, um, and look, we need our DK. We need a, a striker of that ilk. I think everyone knows it. I mean, you, you don't have to know a great deal about football to realise that. And the assist thing, I, I personally found interesting. It shows that he really is a different type of player to what Albion have got at the minute. Yeah. From what we understand, Palace are in for him. Palace want him as well. As we said on the podcast last week, I think it just feels like with Daryl DK that he is scoring the goals that are going to put him in a price bracket which is beyond Albion. But we don't know that. Um, like, could it be? A, I mean, look, the only way Albion going to get him is with a loan of an obligation to buy if they get promoted to the Premier League. Could they then afford DK's fee if they got up? Yes, they could. Are they going to be willing to pay? however much it's cost to get him on loan in the first place. I understand Barnsley paid an absolute whack 
to get him on loan last season. Like very, it's sort of in the region of two, two and a half million pounds, I think. I, don't, I mean, don't quote me on that, but I've not had that confirmed. But they're sort of the stories I've heard. I mean, you, that is a, very much what most teams would spend on an actual signing mm. rather than someone who's coming in for six months. Um, but obviously, if he fired you to promotion, it would be the biggest bargain ever. So... <clears throat> Um, I don't know. The Palace thing's interesting. If Palace are in for him, then you'd imagine... They're still that's keen, despite getting Edouard in? Well, that's what the rumour is, that they still are keen. Um, I think teams... It's, it's got to the stage with DK where other teams will 100% be looking at him. I mean, mm. it's... No His goal record's just too good, isn't it? His goal record's too good. He's young. He's got a lot of attributes you just can't teach, really. Seems seems like a well-rounded sort of person. Like, it, look, I've got no doubt Album will try. I've got no doubt they want him. Percentage chance? 25. I'm going 35. We'll 30, see. 35. We'll see what happens come January. We'll see. Mm. Baggy's Tom won. Who at the club allows Sky to keep moving our games to TV? There's nothing the club can do about it. It's not. I imagine that's something to do with the rights deal that the Championship have agreed with Sky. Broadcasters Just... dominate football. That's where the Broadca- money comes from. That's where the money comes from. Broadcasters pay for basically everything. The reason why there's so much money in the game is because broadcasters put so much money in the game. Um, they get to call the shots, basically. Um, and Albion are always picked for TV. Well, that's it. Um, Jack Ormrod, what was your expectation coming into the season and has it changed? My prediction before a ball was kicked was that we'd finish third. I've seen some fans suggesting we should be top two this season, but I personally don't think we have a top two squad. And that's fair. I think like what we said, what we said right at the start of the season was. I personally think that my prediction is that Bournemouth, Fulham, us, and Sheffield United will be one, two, three, and four. Mm. Um, I think they should be based on the squads they've got, based on the money they've got at their disposal. In what order the three of the four of those teams finish is sort of. I didn't really know, but look, Sheffield United are seventeenth at the minute. <laughs> on 18 points and nine points behind Coventry. Personally, I still think they could be the top four. Um, I think Sheffield United will will, will will rein a lot of teams in. It's just my opinion, but mm. even if they don't, I think we're probably all at the stage where I think the top three are going to be Bournemouth, Fulham and Albion. So, look, it comes down to they've got three of the best squads are Fulham and Bournemouth squads on paper better? I think you probably would argue they are. Yeah. Um, and, it, uh, and it's just probably that, that striker, really. Um, like, you know Dominic Solanke is going to get a lot of goals for Bournemouth. Obviously, Mitrovic has got 18 already, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, we all think Carlin Grant's going to be our top scorer. And he plays on the left. So... You'd have to say, as it stands, that Fulham and Bournemouth have got got a big advantage. Um, <clears throat> but 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 football isn't shouldn't be about 
there's, there's obviously a direct correlation between like how much you spend like in terms of your wages and stuff and where you finish in in the league. But you've got to try and better that, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to try and better it. So I think Albion, Albion probably naturally would finish third, maybe. But it's up to them to better it and to be more like more of their parts, really. Mm. Um, I really hope they can finish. I don't care about winning the league, or, but I just want to finish second. Don't get me wrong, I'd rather finish first, but I just think you just got to get up, really. That's it. That's the main thing. You know, by hook or by crook, if they get up, it's just job done. Um, Daniel Tudge asked the same question every game. Will he change formation? Being overrun far too often in midfield. Uh, also, I assume everyone agrees why it was Mullenby dropped. I've heard he was... I've heard the reason, but he was so good against Bristol, who will play right right wing back on Wednesday. Um, I'll answer this for you now, Daniel. I don't see I don't see a change in formation at all. We won't change formation. I mean, he's been asked about this. I asked him about it. I mean, we did a video after the press conference. You were there when I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and I really like Ishmael. He's a really nice guy. But it's the first time I've asked him a question. It's been a bit awkward. Um, because I went on a website where I looked at his formations at Barnsley and based on the, on those, sometimes it said he played 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2. Basically, it was always a three and a four, mm. but he sort of alternated the positions of the front three, but whether to have a number 10 or to have two number 10s or, or whatever. But he was, um, and I think I... It was at a time, it was after, the, I think it was after those three draws in a row, and I think I said to him, oh, I know you sort of chopped and changed the positions of your front three when you were at Barnsley, and um, he tended to do that here. And he said, he completely told me that, well, not completely told me, that, but he made it clear that he didn't change his system at Barnsley, mm. and that it was very much 3 4 3. Um, <clears throat> So he's not going to change his formation. He's not. He's not going to change his formation. He's just not going to do it. He believes that all the solutions are, can be found in that system. He will point to other reasons why goals are conceded, or what Albion have to do better within that system to prevent goals from being conceded or to create more chances. Um, that is his belief. We've spoken about this at length in terms of like we spoke about it like at Albion. Like we've like it's not Ishmael knows how people feel about it like in terms of and it's based on solid like football logic I mean I talk, I, I use the comparison of England all the time England got to the to the semi-finals of the World Cup where they got outplayed by Croatia um, and Gareth Southgate came out afterwards and admitted that they got found out in that game he said that basically we're going to have to have two formations going forward um, because Croatia did a number on us and we didn't have an answer in that game against Croatia to stop them mm. um, that we were tactically done basically in that game and look we, we, we Southgate worked on two formations we got to the World Cup we went one stage further didn't we and got to the final so like people aren't we're not making these points based on look it's not just we're based like, this is a point that the England manager's made he felt he needed two formations um, so you, I think it's, it's, we're, we're, everyone's in right to question that really for Ishmael um, but he doesn't. He doesn't see it that way. And, and then the truth is, we're all sort of in his hands, really. We're like we all have. He's the manager. He has this immense belief in how he wants to play, and we have to sort of not for accept it because we're allowed to challenge it. But he is going to do it his way, and we have to sort of 
hope that he's right. Um, mm. And this is actually actually the right way to do things. And that is a situation we're in. But he will he will not change his formation. He will he just will not do it. It is a hill he will live and die upon. Um, not saying that he will die upon that hill. They may he may well live a very enjoyable spell at Albion on that hill. We never know. Um, Paul Garber, do you agree with the manager's statement that if Livermore, his captain, is fit and available, that he will start every game? So I think I think what the issue there is is so there's a, there's a lot of like uproar about Livermore starting because I tweeted that it looks highly likely Livermore's going to start at Fulham and that was obviously because I would I just spoken to Ishmael and I had the quotes from him where he basically said Jake's my captain Jake's going to play I think perhaps people are getting too sort of bogged down in the in the captain thing like mm. but it, it kind of goes hand in hand. But it's interesting that it's interesting the, the choice of words Ishmael used. Jake, he said Jake is my captain. Well, J- Jake's been captain for years, so Ishmael's obviously come in, looked at who he wants as his captain, and it, it happens to be Jake as well. Like he, the, the, I don't think that wasn't a lazy decision just to let it carry on. Ishmael's looked at what he wants from his captain, and, and Livermore is that man. Um, but it all comes down to what hap- what I was talking about right at the start, which is. This positional sense, this positional now, this in the three-four-three for a central midfielder. Livermore does that stuff very, very well, mm. um, and it is unseen stuff. Like it, it is, a lot of it is off the ball, off the ball details. It's discipline, basically. Um, and I think Ishmael has been so impressed with the way that Livermore has taken on these instructions that he has made him captain, and he feels like he has to play. That's that's where we're at with it. Um, it's not like I think some people. It's not like I'm picking my captain every single week, just because he's my captain. It's not. It's not that. But the same reasons why Livermore is captain is why he's playing every week mm. because he understands the role. Um, also, another thing, just to like in, de- in a bit of in defence of him, he really is like a smashing bloke. Like. He's like in terms of like you, you like you. What's the saying? You follow him off a cliff or something? Like you like you would yeah. like he is like he is he is a leader. Like he, he's just so good at like. I think he'll be a brilliant manager if he ever goes into management one day. Like yeah. he he just knows he, he's like got it. he knows how to put his arm around them and he knows how to give out like a rollicking as well. Like he's just a good person. I think. Um so like there's that like Carl Bartley is very similar. Like Carl Bartley would be a good captain as well, and obviously he's vice captain. Um but I completely get why Livermore's captain. If I was jettisoning to be Albion manager tomorrow, Jake Livermore would very much be captain. Mm. I agree with you. Um last question. Um and two people have offered pretty similar ones. Um Thursday Throssell and Joe Beddo. If Albion finish third or fourth this season and don't make it through the playoffs, would you consider it a successful season? And would you keep Ishmael as manager for the next season? I don't think you can consider. I really, really don't think you can consider it successful. I'd agree with you. Um, it, it, if it, I think if Albion finish third, it's par for the course. Um, it's just it's just level par, really. Um, Does it matter how they do in the playoffs? 
for example, if they make the final, dominate the game but lose? Um, I think that, I think like Ishmael signed a four-year deal at the end of the day. Like he's, like I think you've got we've got to stick with it. You've got to like, you've got to get, allow him like a couple of transfer windows, like three transfer windows at least. But, look, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, like, I wouldn't be questioning the manager's position personally. Um, but I do think like, I think we can. What we have to say is. Oh, I've said it so many times, but there's like, look, there's a cloud of unrest at Albion with the ownership issues. Gauchin line never comes comes to games. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of money to spend. There's so much sort of the clubs up for sale. There's so much sort of and, and cannot be sold basically. Um, there's so much disharmony behind the scenes. That I think the stability Ishmael gives Albion is really important, to be honest. Like, mm. instability off the field can lead to instability on it. And I think I do think Ishmael is a steady pair of hands. I think because of COVID, I think because of parachute payments, because of what COVID's done as a division and because of parachute payments, I do think Albion should finish... I, do, I, do, I honestly think fifth is not good enough. And I, and I know there's no, not a massive difference between finishing third and fifth. But but I do think fifth is not good enough mm-hmm. um, because I just think Albion have got an advantage this season. They have, they've got, they've got their, their wage bill will without it's, it will be without doubt top three or top four. I mean, you just they really they shouldn't they should if some if someone like Coventry finished fourth and Albion finished fifth that isn't good enough like that in my opinion. But. Oh, yeah. Third is par for the course. It's just level par. Mm. Um, what was the question again? I can't. I've got on. I've got a pound and a day. I've got a pound and a day. So I am so, struggling in this podcast. Sorry to hear that, mate. Um, yeah, and and would you keep him on for the next season if you? Yeah, was, yeah you keep yeah. him on, but but I think we've got to judge it as one or t- if it, if Alvin finished first and second, Ishmael has done a, a very good job. If Ishmael, if they finish third or fourth, Ishmael's done just a par for the course job. If they finish below that, I think it's been a poor season. Mm. I'd be uh, tempted to agree with you there, mate. Um, right, let's finish up as always, um, previewing the games ahead. Um, two games, uh, one midweek, one this weekend. Hull and then Middlesbrough. Um Nightmare start of the season for Hull, um, but Middlesbrough looks a much tougher prospect. Um, what do you make of them fixtures? They need to be looking at six points, really, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've got to be looking at six points, I think, um, especially after the defeat to Fulham. Um, that sort of puts more pressure on this game, really. In these games, back at home, having obviously lost the last three away, yeah, um, which is quite a statement, really. Like a. a um, but you look at Hull, I mean, where the Derby have had all those points taken off them, haven't they? So, basically, Hull would be second bottom if it wasn't for Derby's administration. Mm. Won two games all season, lost ten. They all they come up from League One last season, they've struggled. They don't score goals either. Um, yeah, I like Grant McCann um, as a manager, but I think... I just don't know if um, just don't know if he's a championship manager. Mm. Um, obviously, the had Hull flying. If you remember before lockdown, sort of the first half of that season, the championship, yeah. and they sold 
Grzycki and Bowen and they ended up getting relegated and then I mean he did really well they sort of bossed league one last season but they have struggled back at I mean they are a team who without doubt if they survived they've had a great season mm. um, so look at home in front of like Albion on the back of a defeat Albion really should be winning that um, I just don't see where Hull's real threats are like I look at the, I look at their team and I'm like Josh McGuinness Northern Ireland international striker, target man type striker, but, but, I mean to be honest, he's a League One player in my opinion. Um, mm. I think it's George Munker they got in the ten role. Saw him play really well for Luton in League One, but again in League One, Lewis Potter, Malik Wilkes. I mean, they're they're kind of players that are too good for League One, not good enough for the Championship. We often say that about the Championship and the Premier League, but. It feels a bit like that um, with Hull. Um, absolutely should be winning that game. Yeah, they've only yeah. scored nine goals this season so far and Albion have defended, I mean, you might not say after some recent results, but they've defended very well. So you do think that one should really be on, on Albion. Like, you said, like I said though, Middlesbrough, tougher prospect, 11th at the moment, playing under Neil Warnock. Um, you can know what you know what kind of football to expect. It's not going to be a pretty game, is it? No, it's not gonna be a pretty game, and this is where, this is where you'd like to think, the Snodgrass would help really make a difference mm. in both his games, really, because you can't imagine Huller. You, I mean, Huller surely gonna set up to frustrate. I mean, you just can't. I just can't. Like, I mean, if, they get, if surely if they take the game to Albion, they'll get beat. I mean, you'd imagine. I mean, it sounds awful. It sounds like we're really writing off Hull, which is obviously a really dangerous game to play, but. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Warnock will know exactly what to do. Again, I think they're set up to frustrate three-five-two-ish. Um, they've obviously got better players, but you'd like to think. I mean, look, if, for me, the middle. You'd like to think the Bristol, the Bristol City game. You'd like to think the Middlesbrough and Bristol City games would be pretty similar, really. Yeah. Look, Ni- Nigel Pearson's no slouch, is he? He knows what he's doing. Um, but Albion will come to be better than Bristol City, and, and I'd like to think it'd be the same against Middlesbrough um, on Saturday. But yeah, the bottom line is, it's a championship. Things change so quickly. I mean, look, so get six points from those games, and suddenly everything's going. The picture's going to look a little bit prettier, you'd imagine. But you never know. Fulham might lose a game. Bournemouth might lose a game. And yeah, but I just think I think six points really has to be the aim from those two games. Yeah, I, I think it does really. If you want to be, we're talking about Albion being automatic promotion contenders. Two games at home against one team that's really struggling and one team that's what do you say eleventh? Yeah, mid table. Mid table, yeah. Should be six points, I think. Should be. Uh, and in regards of of changes, obviously the enforced one with Darnell Furlong. But would you make any others? Uh, I suppose the question is with fitness isn't it yeah we've just got to take the whole game you can't take it two games at a time you've got to take it one game at a time it's done enough yeah for me no I wouldn't make any changes for, for Hull I don't think oh um unless Moet's fit if Moet's fit I can't remember who played at front against Fulham now it was Hugo Phillips and Grant yeah um Probably go if it was me, but I don't think Ishmael will do it. I'd go 
Robinson on the right. Yeah. Phillips through the middle. Grant on the left. Um, but I don't think that'll happen. Yeah. It's more likely to be Callum through the middle. But I'd like to see Phillips giving a go there again. Because mm. I thought he looked all right in pre-season, but... We will see. Um, and what if Moet's fit? Do you, does he come straight back in? Not not for this game for me now. No, I think um, it's difficult because Snodgrass has obviously had quite an extreme sort of time. It bothered but... me. I was dying to see Snodgrass play and he goes and puts in a worldie against Bristol City, which I don't see. And then I, I watched the Fulham game and he has a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I think he did. I think... I think against Harley you've got to play some grass, personally. He, he's uh, Mowat uh, is good on the ball, but I think Snodgrass has got more more chance of unlocking the door. Mm. They could pick apart a team either way, couldn't they? If Mowat starts, he's, he's more liable to score from 20 yards and, and, and earn you a goal that way, whereas Snodgrass is more likely to be able to cut apart a team now, I guess. Very true, very true. Uh, right, that just about does us, mate. Unless you've got anything else to add to this episode, mate. No, I haven't. I mean, I genuinely have got a headache. Um, I never get headaches, um, but I have got a pound and headache. Um, so I'm sorry if this podcast wasn't the best because I was struggling with it a bit. But don't worry, mate. That's my don't worry. Anyway. Anyone would get a headache listening to me for an hour. I'm sure the listeners will tell you that. Um, right, yeah, that just about does us. Uh, as always, if uh, if you've listened and enjoyed, if you could give us a rating and a review, a nice one, please, uh, on your preferred podcast provider, that would be fantastic. And as always, pass this on to someone who might not listen because they might enjoy it as well. But from me and from Joe, a fond farewell for now. Goodbye. <laughs>